Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Earl Hello. and Noah. Hi, y'all. Today we're going to be talking about meritocracy. Now, this is the stated ideal of many people in American politics and in America more broadly. You know, the idea that success should be based on one's own talent and ingenuity and basically nothing else. And there are some who would say that America is more or less a meritocracy. And today we're going to ask the question of, is that true? And B, if it's not true, should it be? And C, if it shouldn't, what should? Yeah, uh, it's a good thing you included that third clause because until then the answer was going to be no and no and can we go home now. (laughs) But there's definitely something to be said about the fact that I think I'm actually going to quibble with you. I would say most, if not all, American uh, politicians and then people in political spheres of influence, Mm -hmm. right, believe in this ideal in their bones. And I think you almost have to because politics is – so there's this thing about why game show hosts tend to be incredibly conservative. And and there's a thing about how to do that job day after day for years and years on end – you have to, on, on some level, believe that actually it is the talent and ability of wh- whoever's winning that, you know, especially okay. if it's something like Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune, that the person who deserves it the most is winning, right? Mm-hmm. And American politics is the biggest game show there is. Right. It, <laughs> right. it strikes me because, one, Wheel of Fortune is, like, the least about talent. Yeah. And, two, Pat Sajak is maybe the most conservative game mm-hmm. show host I can think of. Right? Yeah, yeah. But that, but that's the thing, isn't it? Oftentimes, the perceived value of talent and, and ingenuity, as you put it, is completely different from the amount of actual talent and ingenuity involved in whatever yeah. it is you're that, talking. Yeah, that about. might that might actually make Wheel of Fortune like our perfect analog here for what people think is going on and what is actually going on. I mean, they, they you know, it's like, oh, well, whoever's best at solving the puzzle wins. It's like, well, don't forget about the part where they literally spin a wheel. Like, don't, don't forget about the the actual act of randomness or pseudo randomness that's thrown into this thing. You know? Yeah. You can you can literally land on a square that just completely wipes you out. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. right. This yeah. is this is a weirdly good yeah, uh, right. simile. Yeah. That, that for, came that came up great. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance that you're already aware that America is not the meritocracy many claim it to be. But in case you aren't already aware, we're gonna spend this first segment, you know laying out an excruciating detail that, no, it's not a meritocracy. The best people are not rising to the top. Or not exclusively, anyways. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so very recently, we had the, uh, the college admissions uh, scandal, uh, which should be it's one of those things where well, one, of, one of my favorite responses, basically, from sort of like leftish people were kind of like, wait, did people not know this was going on? Like, there was a whole, a whole lot of people that was kind of like, yeah, duh. Like, this is, this is how it works, you know? But there was a lot of people that were like, sh- sh- 
Shame on you, not Lori Metcalf. I don't know, whatever. Aunt Becky. Lori Laughlin. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was about to throw the woman from Rosanna to the bus. Oh, necessarily. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Well, there's a distinction to be made between, you know, like, the, the things described in the scandal, you know, people like bribing test proctors and pretending to pretending that their children have learning disabilities so they'll oh, get oh more God. favorable conditions. Pretending that their children are athletes of sports they literally can't play. Because <laughs> there was at least one where a kid w- claimed to be playing water polo in, right. like, Nebraska or something. And <laughs> high school did not have a water yeah. polo. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's frankly On the class ridiculous. The, the well-known beaches of Nebraska. Exactly. <laughs> they do have admirals, you know. You can oh. get appointed a Nebraska admiral. That's a thing. <laughs> that rules. Um, but... The college cheating scandal was, you know, it it was so, number one, it was hilarious. But number two, one of the reasons it was especially funny is because it forced a lot of people to sort of figure out, okay, what these these people did to get their kids into these elite institutions and whatever, it was ridiculous, right? Like, they could have just donated a building the way... (laughs) these things used to be done. But they didn't. They decided to emulate the meritocratic model. They decided to To cheat the merit. Yes. (laughs) To defraud, instead of just doing the open graft, right? right. Which is perfectly legal. Yeah. (laughs) They went through this thing that exposed them to actual criminal liability Mm -hmm. and, and did this whole end run around it. And the thing about that is that it forced a lot of people to confront, or I hope it forced a lot of people to confront, the fact that they're complicit in it. Because even if you're not one of these people, even if you're not bribing somebody mm-hmm. to take the test for your kid, even if you're not uh, bribing somebody to pretend that your kid uh, plays on a team that doesn't exist, even if you're not bribing somebody, you'll notice this is a theme, uh, <laughs> to, pr- to say that your kid has X or Y thing that makes it difficult for them to learn. Um, so that they can, you know, gain some kind of like extended time or whatever. If you're engaged in this kind of massive test prep and test review market, in some small way, you are contributing to that because the whole point of exams like the SAT and the ACT is officially supposed to be that they measure ability and talent and test-taking strategy. And merit. And merit. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, obviously, that's not true. The ETS is a corporation like any other that has Mm. to profit. And, and that's what this is all about. But the fact that the official purpose of these exams was so amazingly devalued by these people is, uh, as a teacher, possibly one of the most encouraging developments in my life. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And there, there was an interview uh, Chris Hayes gave in Jacobin, and this was something like six, seven years ago at this mm. point, where he had talked about how the idea of meritocracy, the idea of, you know, measuring someone's merit in an objective, objective in air quotes way, uh, like the SAT, will inevitably inspire people to seek ways to boost that metric extra legally in this case, uh, <laughs> to cheat the system, right. to make it appear that they have more merit than they actually do, if that's the only metric you're going to use to judge whether somebody gets to go into college on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and he uses an, a sort of mini SAT because he uses okay. the example of Hunter College High School, which at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, uses, you know, one exam. If you don't pass it, you don't get in. It doesn't matter if you're the president's kid. It doesn't matter if you're the mayor's kid. You're not getting into that school. Mm-hmm. So, of course, what rich people have done is take this 
officially meritocratic effort mm-hmm. and turn it to their advantage by, again, recruiting tutors, recruiting test reviewers. They are probably bribing kids. They're probably bribing people to stand in for their kids and do all of, the th- uh, all of these things that, like, William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman were doing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, they're probably doing all of those same things to ensure that their kids get in. And the result is, of course, that that high school now has an incredibly affluent population, which right. it's not supposed to because the point is, quote unquote, supposed to be, 72 point air quotes, mm-hmm. that it's the best of the best, regardless right. of race or wealth or whatever. Right. And, and this is part of his broader argument in the piece and in the book he was, you know, showing out. Which is that? Uh, <laughs> I uh, mean, that's what was happening. It's, yeah. it's, it's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, which is that you know any sort of meritocracy, if it's like on its own in a system that is very much not a meritocracy, like this high school test exam, which exists in a context of New York City has wild inequalities mm-hmm. and you know race and income and all these various factors that impact your ability to prep for a test like that, or just even if we had an entire system that was quote-unquote meritocratic, it would inevitably build these sort of barriers to that meritocracy continuing. You would eventually have, you know, the question of what happens to the successful guy's dumb son? You know, (laughs) what what happens when he has these built-in advantages but doesn't actually have the merit that we like to talk about? Yeah. Well, I mean, it also just from like a like a reproductive, like social reproduction sort of standpoint, it, it doesn't allow for like a sort of a diversification of abilities. Right. Like if you have these qualities that schools look for. And I mean, that's what we're seeing. Right. Is we're seeing sort of a homogenization of what a skill like what a right. successful skill set is. Right. Like you're basically that's the opposite of evolution. Right. We're not we're, we're sort of like uh, it's it's like uh, uh, Ability inbreeding. I don't know if that's what you want to call it. You yeah, know I mean? but no, where we're stacking these traits on top of each other and saying this is the only way um, to do it. Um, it's just, I mean, that's never been good for. I mean, look at the face of an English bulldog. Inbreeding's not good. That's yeah, not, it's not healthy. <laughs> or, or look at populations that you know they they grow so low in biodiversity that a single plague just wipes them all out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly yeah, right. We're yeah. doing that, but with social and intellectual capital. Right. Um, my students are basically all at this point all trying to do the same exact thing, all trying to meet the same exact requirements. And you can tell them as a teacher, like, this doesn't make sense for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Your story, right, is ultimately what has to appeal to a university or a college. And if you look the same as the other thousands of applicants they're going to get, then what's so special about you? But the problem is, like, that's you can tell them that, but that's also not true because college admissions offices are going, give me the 4,000 applicants that all look the same, and I will find the little bit here or the little bit there that means this guy gets in or uh, or this girl doesn't. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point, it becomes a question of what are we counting as merit because right. our system has very much defined merit in certain ways that advantage some people and disadvantage others. You know, if... If test scores are your only measure of merit, you are going to leave out a lot of things that make somebody a good student or make somebody just a good person to have at your university or make someone capable of leading a very successful life if they can just get into your college. Right. You know, we've set up this system that you know colleges are a way to avoid a lot of the sort of menial jobs in, in society where they are the ticket towards, you know, greater success in life than 
a lot of people will get to experience because they don't have colleges. But if we're deciding college admissions on the basis of merit, then the question of who decides what merit is is the most important question you can ask. Uh, so it basically it basically says that your economic output as a person is the sole value that you have as a human being, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a, these are our, these are the merits that we look for in a successful person. Um, and if you don't have them, then you're unsuccessful. It doesn't say anything about your level of compassion or anything like that. Or uh, And that's I don't think that's super great. I mean, I was having a conversation with uh, a friend of a friend who I just met for the first time, and she was talking about she actually works for a repossession company, uh, which is, like, terrible in its own, in its own right. right. But she was basically – she was talking about sort of driving through these small towns on the way to – she has a cabin in the Adirondacks or something like that or whatever – and uh, she was she referred to these, and I had just met her, so I wasn't in full on rage mode. But she was talking about these people as being like losers, right? Like just because because of their like their financial lot in life, which totally you know she's not taking into any kind of context that you know we're not all born into the same social like in the same social strata, right? Which is to say, which goes back to talking about the ability of passing that test has to do with your access to resources, right? And and just going back to what we were talking about, as far as that test goes, even in like a, a perfect scenario where that test truly was the only arbiter, it doesn't speak to yeah those things about uh, your resources as a human being and, and things like that. 100%. And I think an underrated part of this is that on a very basic sort of human level, and this is something that Chris Hayes talks about, I'm not sure I believe him when he says that, you know, inequality and hierarchy are baked into the cake when it comes to human beings. That to me seems a little bit too much like political Calvinism. Like we always have to struggle against some, (laughs) you know, uh, predestination type thing. Um, But I do think that people in general, maybe as a reaction to this economic system, or maybe there is an innate impulse about this, but they don't want to think of themselves as worthless or useless human beings. And the problem is that the system we live in as, as you just said, Earl, produces this vision where your economic output is the only measure of your merit. Right. So if you're a colloquially a fail son, <laughs> if you're somebody who has gotten somewhere where, you know, it's, it's completely unearned and you have a sense of that, you are far more likely to sort of fall into this view of, um, well, it's a meritocracy. I'm here because I'm talented and I'm able and competitive and all of these things. And that allows you, and then you're going to reproduce that attitude. That's going to pass on to the people that you come into contact with. That's going to pass on to your children and they're going to keep that attitude going. So we create this system of people who like, quite frankly, uh, if, if we really are talking about meritocratic ideals, don't deserve the success that they've had being the most stalwart defenders of it because it protects their place in it. It allows them to look at themselves and say, no, I'm not actually some dumb idiot who got where I am purely because of networking and family connections. Right. I totally didn't cheat the system. No. I'm where I am because I'm a shark, you know, because I'm, I'm the, the fittest guy in the, in the gene pool. All right. We've been focusing on this college admission story as sort of a good... Uh, Microcosm? Yes, of, you know, the issue, but... It, of course, it's much broader than just who gets into USC and who doesn't. You know, it, this is something that is prevalent in workplaces across the country. I have had the, you know, experience in my working life, and I, I some of our listeners will uh, have had the same, where I have that, you know, epiphany and the fog clears, and I realize, oh, 
that's why my boss has the same last name as his boss, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, yep. we all know somebody who has gotten to where they are because, you know, family runs the show. They might slack off at work, you know? You might say, hey, that guy doesn't do half as much as I do, but yeah. he's higher than I am, he's getting paid more than I am, and, you know, and what can you do about it? On that level, I think we all realize, you know, when it comes to office politics, that this isn't a meritocracy. This is about who you know and about a lot of things that have little to do with merit, however you want to define it. Yeah, and if any, if anything, I feel like m- most people who have worked in sort of like an office setting mm-hmm. and have actually been lucky enough to move up a little bit in the ranks, it's sort of common knowledge that the higher up you go, the less work you actually have to do. You get raises and you, yes, you quote unquote become responsible, biggest air quotes ever for other people, right? Because you're management and you're managing a team and or, there's people <laughs> under you. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty common that these uh, you know, these people, I've talked to people like this, they're like, yeah, it's weird. I got a raise and now I have to do less work. I don't quite understand. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's pretty common knowledge. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember this pie graph I saw online a few months ago, but it was something about like uh, how CEOs spend their time. It was a survey of like 50 CEOs or something. Right. And like, I want to say three quarters of the pie graph could either be described as doing absolutely nothing mm-hmm. or meetings. Like right. those were yeah. the two things. Yeah. So as you get raises and you get to export your psychological problems to pe- yeah. to more and more people, right? Because I've said this before on this show, you become management at the point at which your psychological issues become the issues of other people and they have to deal with it instead of you. Like 75% of their time is just spent sitting in a room, talking to other people or doing some form of glad handing. Right. There, there was a point, there was a part on the pie graph that said like, working by myself but it was separate from work yeah and i was just like this is a euphemism i don't want to know what it's for for. but it's a euphemism (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh which is is funny because in in a way that's something that we've talked about on past episodes um with regards to you know, I, th- I know I talked about it before about like uh, Higgs who dis- who theorized the Higgs boson or whatever. And they, when they mm-hmm. asked him about how he discovered it, he said peace and quiet, right? So in a weird way, and I don't think that that's why these CEOs are doing seven, like mm-hmm. doing nothing for seventy five percent of the time. I think they're just doing it because they can. Uh, so just to circle back real quick to um, the test at that uh, that Manhattan high school, we talked to the, at the top of the episode about how the meritocratic. Mer- meritocratic Merit, yes, you know what I'm saying. Uh, principles are very pervasive, and I think that the reason is is because it's a very, on its surface level, it's very commonsensical, right? Someone's going to say, well, everyone that gets into the school takes the exact same test, and people are going to go, well, that sounds that sounds totally fair, uh, you know, but they're not looking at, like, the nuanced aspects of it exists where those in a people, context. Right, exactly, right, yeah, and people are very good. And, and, I, and I don't want to, like, blame individuals completely um, because lack of context is what they're selling basically like these black and white ideals of like you're good or you're bad or blah 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 blah. these are the stories we've been spinning for thousands of years but yeah I can just I just wanted to sort of touch on the idea that it's 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 easy to understand why so many people get behind this and that's also part of the uh, that's a big part of what's keeping us from getting past it as like a cornerstone fundamental uh, you know, almost axiomatic value of our economy, right? Is because it sort of makes sense on the surface, but mm-hmm. without context. And you know, you've, we've talked on this show in the past about management and why it should probably go away. And in some ways, when you become a manager, you get to govern the meritocracy. You get to define, you know, 
what is merit? You know, who is deserving of a raise or a promotion or whatever it may be? And when you introduce that element of somebody having, you know, final say, inevitably, they're a person, you know, they're going to screw up, they are going to make wrong decisions. And right, that's the thing, the, the person could be the best person, the best human being in the universe. The fact that they have power over other people is inherently unjust and creates an inherent disparity that they can't fix no matter what they do. Um, Ryan, you shared a piece with us from The Atlantic mm-hmm. uh, from, I want to say, a few years back as well, where they talked about how it's supposedly meritocratic workplaces that mm-hmm. supposedly you know, award performance bonuses or what have you or raises or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, according purely to merit, actually had some of the worst track records in terms of they were handing out almost all of those bonuses and raises to white people, to men, to... Uh, U.S. citizens over people who had done just the same work, just as well. Yeah. And the only difference happened to be, you know, is it a man versus is it a woman? Is it a white person versus a non-white person? Is it somebody born in the U.S. versus not? Mm-hmm. And the thing they found is basically that the more meritocratic these people believed that they were, the more prone they were to screwing up because they believed, well, I believe in this meritocracy business, so my judgment can't be wrong, (laughs) which is a prima facie violation of what a meritocracy, a meritocratic thinker would even think. I mean, the, the whole idea for this is say what you will about, you know, the morons who ran you know the the medieval and renaissance world but like part of the philosophical backing for some of that was that you have to examine your thought process and your life yeah and now we don't even have that as a controlling impulse there's just an acknowledgement that if you're in management you will never have to reflect on your decisions unless you choose to right you just because because you deserve to be there right exactly. like that's the mindset is that yeah. like well by these values i deserve to be here and therefore my judgment is the end of it. Like I, I I made it this far on my, well, that's the other thing too, right? I made it this far on my gumption alone. Uh, you know, they, they, people can't, a lot of these, they can't even take the time to recognize that like, well, you know, came from a good neighborhood. You know, my, my parents sent me, were were capable of sending me to better schools. Or (laughs) or even something as simple as like, Oh, I got this job interview because a friend of mine worked there. Right. Or because they let me know because the job wasn't posted. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, you talked about Earl. You talked about how, uh, on the surface, it makes kind of sense to mm-hmm. look at something like the Hunter College test or an SAT and say, "Well, everybody's taking the same exam, right? So what's the problem?" Right. And I, honestly, I like you. I don't want to blame individuals, but I'm a little cynical on this because everybody knows. Everybody, I I have to imagine that everybody knows deep in their mind or deep in their soul what advantages, what legs up they've had that are just kind of lucky breaks. You know, a friend knew somebody or somebody went to the same high school as you and said, oh, I knew you back in the day. You know what? Uh, This one's on the house, that kind of thing. Those are things that have happened for people that I know. And they usually are thankful and they recognize that, but somehow it never occurs to them that like, oh, maybe that explains some part of my success. So you're actually touching on something that has occurred to me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, that this has occurred to you, but the fact, I wonder if so many people are sort of, you know, against socialism uh, and things of that nature, like more egalitarian societies, because they know deep down that they aren't better than other people, yep. that they know if there was a playing field, uh, that they would 
that they wouldn't, quote-unquote, be the cream of the crop. Well, that thought process, <laughs> that to me is preposterous. Right, yeah, yeah. How, how dare you? Now, Noah, you had said earlier uh, about the idea of somebody having power to make these decisions is inherently unjust, and I, I think that offers a great segue into our next segment after this break. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, still joined by Earl and Noah. Hi, y'all. We talked in the first segment about... um, American meritocracy and where it falls short of its stated ideal that, you know, the best, most talented people should rise to the top and lord over everyone else, basically. <laughs> so and, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And what we're going to get into in this segment is whether that ideal is good in the first place. And what we're going to say is, and bear with us here, <laughs> no. It's <laughs> not good. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Suboptimal. <laughs> That's good. Suboptimal, now, uh, yeah. Why is that? Uh, well, we touched on it a little. Uh, one of the things, I mean, there's many problems with it, but one of the, one of the things we touched on in the first segment was that it sort of distills, uh, you know, the, the, the things that, we def- that are defined as uh, having merit uh, into this sort of homogenized, uh, you know, what it means to be successful. And so it, it breaks down the diversification of people's abilities and what they're striving to achieve. Uh, by saying this is the way you become successful, this is the way you uh, live a good life, et cetera, et cetera. And then so if that's the case, it also alienates people who don't fit into um, those, who don't want that kind of life, who don't mm-hmm. want to you know, become a wealthy CEO or anything like that. They just want to not do that. <laughs> Which is especially ironic because a lot of the same people that believe in this kind of ruthless meritocratic ideal are also the same people who will tell you, especially when it comes to their own children, that uh, you need to educate everybody completely individualistically. Everybody's like needs um, emotionally and educationally and everything need to be taken into account. I'm guessing right up until they become an adult and they join the working world, at which point they're just right. supposed to fit in with everybody else after an entire life of – ideally being treated as the individual they actually are. One one of the ways in which meritocracy both falls short and is not a good ideal is exactly as you're saying. Everything that we're told makes like good recognition of the individual. Everything that we're told makes um, that is a good idea for how to treat people goes out the window the moment you become a working adult. Then it's you're supposed to be another, uh, you know, another cog in the machine, and that's it. Right, yeah. Well, that sort of goes back to the age-old, like, thing that, you know, grown-ups say to kids in high school and stuff. Like, well, wait till you get to the real world. You know, like, the the, the meritocracy, and, and that, that that's the real world. Like, you being treated like a human being and, and allowing you to explore your own ambitions, et cetera, et cetera, that's just kiddie nonsense. Like, that's not, you know, you, you don't get to do that when you're grown-up. You just got to... Kill yourself slowly, <laughs> basically. And it, basically, I mean, the idea we're going to, I'm going to try to get across mm-hmm. anyways, you, you may have other ideas, is that, you know, even if, you know, these people are in fact, you know, meritocratic, if they are in fact the best and the brightest, th- we shouldn't just have them be the authority that rules over everyone else in society because there are a lot of people who, simply aren't. And that's okay. That should be okay to 
not be smart, to not be the best in your field, to you should still be able to live a life with dignity and right. purpose and, you know, have a fulfilling life. Are, are you saying that you have certain rights because you're a human being? Yeah. If only there were a phrase that yeah. kind of encompasses this. It's almost this. like they're unalienable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Human rights. What a weird concept, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because what we have now is we have that, but for a very small subset of the population, right. you can uh, you can be without merit and still live a dignified and uh, successful life as long as you have access to inherited wealth, as long as yeah. you have access to some of the levers of power. Right. If you don't have that, then you have to have merit. And people of privilege, or what was the uh, people of means, was that the Howard Schultz thing? <laughs> uh, people of means will tell you that, well, yeah, that makes sense. We have, you know, the we have the inherited wealth and we have the old money and we have the fame of our names, basically. Mm -hmm. So we can just have that. You have to have merit because you don't have those things. So you actually have to show up and work hard and be on time and respect your boss and be a good coworker and whatever. But the thing is, like, as we're seeing, none of that is actually protecting anybody anyway. Right. So the whole system is just <laughs> accurate. I, I want to take a moment here to play liberals advocate and, mm -hmm. you know, to sort of, you know, there's a it's reason good. why this idea of meritocracy became so popular because it, you know, for a while it was the alternative was, you know, a white male dominated society. The idea is that everybody should, you know, be able to go on their own talent rather than, you know, their name or the color of their skin. It's was a battle worth fighting. There were hierarchies that deserved to fall in the name of what we might now call meritocracy. But this meritocracy has produced hierarchies all its own. And those two have to go away if we're going to have a more just society. No, that that's absolutely fair because, you know, the alternative before even that was just feudalism. Right. Where it was entirely based on, you know, you were born... In, in this particular family, and that determined 100% of what your station in life was. Mm -hmm. So that's absolutely true. But the thing about that is that the way that we structured this supposed meritocracy, this alleged thing, um, the way that it was structured was without any recognition for the actual levers of power. So it broke down some barriers to people who aren't white, straight, mostly Protestant men being mm -hmm. allowed to access wealth and political power and influence and, and celebrity. Mm -hmm. But what it didn't do was stop exactly what we're talking about here, the existence of a class that is deserving, lording over the great undeserving masses. And that ultimately is the issue. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it has, you know, legitimized the existing hierarchies because our uh, meritocracy to a large extent has just given credence to the people who already had wealth you know it, it is still disproportionately white and male and straight and all of these mm -hmm. things that already had power because if you're going to have meritocracy there's little instinct to you know boost up those who were are disadvantaged because like you were saying earlier, you know, we have this test and everyone has the same test, right. you know. So the idea of something like affirmative action is often, you know, the, the meritocrats will look askance at that and say, well, no, that's not right either. We can't have that because that unfairly gives an advantage to people. But 
if you don't have, you know, systems to rebalance the system in a right. way, you will end up just reestablishing the old hierarchy. And I want to address that because what you just said, specifically the whole, the, the concept of affirmative action. So I'm a classicist by trade. That That's what I did in college. And there's there's a guy named Danel Peralta Padilla who became a classicist, uh, graduated from Princeton as valedictorian, and gave the commencement address in spoken Latin. And uh, this guy, so he was, I believe, um, his mother was an, uh, is an undocumented immigrant. I don't – or was when he was born. I don't know if she still happens to be. But the point I'm trying to get to is that he got his doctorate from, I want to say, also Princeton. He teaches at Stanford. Uh, there's – you know, this man by any other metric has had an incredible career, right? Oh, yeah. And even then, at this classics conference that happened recently, there was some lady just telling him that he was purely there because he was an affirmative action hire, that he was a token, that there was nothing to him other than the fact that he was black and Dominican. And that was it, that that was all people were seeing in him. Wow. That's a guy who, like every other classicist, looks at and goes, you are, by any meritocratic metric, you are more successful than I am. But... Even then, mm-hmm. he can be torn down that quickly by just some person, right. fill in your own noun here, <laughs> yelling at him in an auditorium. Yeah. So even within that context, even when you take out the idea of um, you know, rectifying or rebalancing, the class that has the power or the class that feels like it should have the power is never going to give it up, no matter how much they say they believe in the rule of talent and ability. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they're gonna find. Yeah, they're, they're gonna find some way to tear it down, like no matter what, because uh, that's just fundamentally what they believe. Right? They cheat. That they deserve. Yeah, they, right. Yeah, yeah right. They, exactly. They're going yeah. to when they can't get by on talent and ability alone, or control the entrance metrics. They're going to cheat. They're going to defraud because they love doing this. We know this now. Mm-hmm. This should not be a revelation to anybody. Mm-hmm. And on a broader societal scale, we've had attempts at meritocratic governance, like. The Obama administration famously had all these big figures in finance and in law who joined his cabinet from the get-go, you know, the best and brightest, so to speak. And what came of that is a system that oddly looked to help out the best and the brightest. We had a response to the recession that helped out the banks from which, you know, his finance, you know, secretary had come from or whatever you might Uh, have. Yeah. Tim Geithner, mm-hmm. he was Federal Reserve Bank of New York president. Mm-hmm. Mm. At, at the expense of people who maybe didn't have that on paper merit, you know, millions of homeowners, for example. It's when you have a system built to let the people at the top strive, you run the risk and probably the inevitability of letting everyone else drown. Yeah, it it creates a a duality where somebody with an extensive resume and, you know, elite education looks at somebody who lives in a small town on the way to the Adirondacks and just thinks, well, this person is about as subhuman as it's going to get. You know, that that's for some of these people, that's legit what they're seeing, whether they admit it to you or not. Well, because if they if they accept the one if they accept the one side of the coin that the, the people who have merit deserve to be there, then the other side has to be true for them as well, that the poor deserve that as well, because that's just how their mind works. Uh, you know. um, but just to touch on something, I think that's, <laughs> that's interesting that um, 
what Ryan was just talking about made me think of is that if we recognize ourselves in this room as the meritocracy being like invalid and often not true or mm-hmm. almost never true, these people that rise to the top that are the quote unquote cream of the crop are often not, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So then when we have less than ideal outcomes, you know, where's the accountability there? They say, well, the, these guys are, they went to the best schools. If no, if they can't do it, nobody can. And, and as it, we've you know. seen, going to the best schools is... Right. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that you... What just, determines Yeah, that. right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So then, you know, it, it begs the question that maybe there are people out there who are better qualified or who could have became better at that position had this sort of, had you know... Mm-hmm. had this structure not been in place, right? These people who have natural ability or, or something to that effect could have risen to the ranks and done a better job had this corruptness not been part mm-hmm. of it from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's like no metric by which you should say, below that, you are a loser. Right. Below that, right. you are right. a failure. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. That's the fundamental. What, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's obviously terrible if it's the on the basis of race or religion or any of these things, but it's not particularly great if it's based on your SAT score or your GPA or your ability to get into UCLA or what it might be. Right. No, it's just trying to create a sorting algorithm. It, mm-hmm. uh, we live in a miserable society in that sense because we, we keep trying to put people into one of two categories. Earl, you talked about this, how it's very black and white. Right. You know, there, there's very little of any kind of shading between the two. Mm. And you're supposed to either be a success story or a failure. And it strikes me as just deeply um, misanthropic to have a society that sorts people that way, that legitimately just takes a whole group of people and says, well, these people are worth nothing. Because, I mean, look at, uh, what was it, J.D. Vance when he was mm-hmm. a thing a couple of years ago uh, with uh, Hillbilly Elegy or whatever yes. it was called. And that was entirely meant to create a portrait of people in Appalachia as as somehow being, you know, uh, to paint a portrait of like their uh, ultimate dignity or something mm-hmm. like that. And the thing is, the only reason he got away with that claptrap was because all of the people he was selling that book to were never going to go to the towns that he was talking about (laughs) and experience that life because to them, these people are, to the rich, these people are subhuman and they're not going to admit it, but they do think that. And J.D. Vance is a conservative writer, but you also see this attitude among liberals. Uh, Bill Maher had a segment (laughs) a month ago maybe where talking about how red states are just, people in red states, which notably includes a whole bunch of Democrats, you know, mm-hmm. are simply jealous of those living in New York City or D.C. and, you know, the you know, coastal elites of society, you know. Uh, what was his line about how we have Wolfgang Puck and you have uh, Chef Boyardee or something yeah, like that? Yeah, something like that. It was, yeah. yeah. It, it assumes that everyone wants the same life, and that's just not true. Yeah. If the economy is based around the idea that, Everyone needs to be on, quote unquote, on their hustle to try and become this multimillionaire CEO or something like that. It doesn't leave any room for anyone else who just wants to live quietly and raise a family and read books. Uh, Noah, you brought up on the break that we've made that increasingly more difficult. Uh, to even achieve that kind of life, uh, that that kind of lifestyle, because of the the constant competition and just the pressure that you're in, just to survive, unless you were lucky enough to be born into 
uh, you know, a family of means, as it were. Yeah. Uh, if you're, if if you're, especially if you're young and you're listening to this, uh, chances are good that between student loans, the cost of rent, or maybe you're lucky enough to own a home, so your mortgage payments, between various expenses, between the probably crappy healthcare that you have, and the definitely insufficient pay that you have because nobody is paying you what you're worth. Right. Between all of those things, chances are good that you're treading water. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the rich are coming for that, too. They want to take that away from you, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, that shouldn't be a thing of shame, th- to be treading water. It's not pleasant by any yeah. means. But, yeah. you know, the idea that uh, that's a mark of shame is part of this meritocratic ideal that, mm-hmm. you know, you should have striven to do more with your life. But that's, that's ultimately the thing, that we revise the dream downward except for a very select and shrinking group of people who get to put more of the world's wealth in their pockets every succeeding year and then turn around and tell the rest of us that it's because we're not good enough to get in on any of that action. And even if our response is, well, we don't want any of that. We right. just kind of want to be left alone to live our lives in peace yeah. and quiet, as mm-hmm. you put it. Right. Um, their, their answer is, okay, well, we're going to take every last yeah. moment of peace and quiet from right. you. Yeah, in order for them to continue to grow their wealth, they need you to keep making money for them. Right. So you, it's impossible to live, uh, you know, which material to me, materially and technologically to me at this point where we are is insane, right? We've come so far from having to till fields with a, a mule and a plow and stuff, you know what I mean? And yet it's still impossible for you to say, look, man, like, if you want a helicopter and all that 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 lifestyle, go get it, man. But you gotta leave me be. Like I just want to <laughs> sit in this rocking chair on my front porch and and catch up on some books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to do that, and the reason is is because they need you to keep earning, or uh, keep working, and keep earning money for them. <laughs> There's something I like to say a lot whenever my um, uh, so some of my students will ask about my politics and so on and. I don't just blast them out, but I, I will talk sometimes about them. And a thing that I tell them a lot is, so sure, you can believe that frugality and uh, smart spending habits and things like that and uh, hard work and so on, you can believe that those are values. Mm-hmm. But I want to live in a society where those things are choices that you make right. and honest choices that you make, things that you get to choose with your entire heart and soul, rather than something you have to do just to survive. Exactly. Absolutely. I, I think meritocracy can be incredibly cruel. You know, it can dish out just punishing blows to people and tell them that they deserve it, even Mm -hmm. more so than perhaps old systems did. And that's not to say the old systems were right. They are not. But this meritocracy that we've striven towards for, you know, three, four decades now in America has left a lot of people more anxious, more debt-ridden, just at wit's end, trying to be a part of it. And uh, after this break, we're going to maybe talk about what alternatives we could foresee. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Earl and Noah. Hi, y'all. We've been talking about meritocracy, why it doesn't exist and why it would be bad if it did. And now in this last segment, before we go, we're 
going to talk about you know what we can think of as alternatives to the meritocratic ideal that has so dominated American society since ever. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And fallen short yeah. since like ever. Right. <laughs> well, I think if you, if you want to build a just society, which by definition has to be non-meritocratic because mm-hmm. that is not a just ideal in the first place. Um, you know, we talk about, we talk big game about human rights. Mm-hmm. We talk about people having, uh, internationally, you, you hear these things about people having a fundamental right to food, housing, water, clean mm-hmm. air. The clean, UN clean has soil. defined things that are human rights. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe a good starting point is uh, taking those seriously. And if they're human rights, you don't just get to say they're human rights and leave it at that. That's a very common thing to do in this day and age. You have to actually build them into the bedrock of your society. You have to provide them for people or make sure that they are there. Yeah, but even beyond just having those basic bedrock fundamentals, you know, food, shelter, water, you know, the things we need to survive. I keep going back to what you said in the first segment about the idea of someone having power to decide over your life is just inherently unjust. It, it has to be a teardown of these hierarchies that give some people power over other people on the basis of whatever it may be, merit or otherwise. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, uh, you know, we have to start addressing some of the, you know, some of the root issues we're seeing, which is things like inherited wealth being uh, setting the course for a whole human life and that wealth directly affecting the people that don't have it. I mean, you can't have wealth without others being poor. That's basically the way that it's it's set up now. Uh, and just going back to Noah's point about if we agree these things are human rights, we have to do things about them. Uh, and then when we come up against that inevitable moment where someone says, well, yes, those things, I agree that those things are rights, but we have to, quote unquote, take things away from people to give other people access to them, which is to say, maybe people can't own multiple helicopters, maybe people, and, and we have to be able to honestly say, who gives a damn? You know what I mean? Like, I, it, we need to have these things for everyone, and if that if that means that you can't exist in this extremely opulent lifestyle, I'm happy to tell you that right to your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? We had talked about uh, a Chris Hayes interview a while ago, and he had a, a line on Twitter a few weeks ago that I thought was useful, which is that any meritocracy will inevitably build obstacles to its continued existence. It will inevitably, you know, create a s- scenario where, say. Donald Trump's kid lives a better life than people infinitely more meritorious than Donald Trump's kid. Mm -hmm. If we give these massive rewards to the people with merit, those rewards will be used to, you know, keep them on the top. They will be used to keep others on the bottom. And that's bad. Right. And it's unjust, right? I mean, that's the main, that's the main crux of the thing. And, and, you know, when people, and that's uh, that's why they try and reframe inheritance tax as things like death tax. They put these mm-hmm. negative spins on them so that you know people go, "Oh, death tax, that sounds that sounds messed up. Like <laughs> we shouldn't do that. <laughs> that sounds bad." Digging up people's graves to tax them, right? Yeah, to take yeah, yeah to take the jewelry they were buried with or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what's gonna happen there. <laughs> just just yeah. 21st century resurrection men right. out there. Yeah. 
So Rich, who's hosted this program a, a bunch of times, actually, he he's a big fan of saying, you know, the rich always have had class consciousness. They, they understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And what that means in this case is that they're going to fight this tooth and nail because they know that if people are coming for their inherited wealth, they know that if people are coming for their multiple helicopters and the, you know, the homes that they've forgotten they have and whatever, there's a 2008 reference for you, um, <laughs> all of that stuff, they know that that is ultimately a recognition that wealth is not, as you put it, Earl, that wealth and economic value and what you supposedly produce for the world is not inherent merit, is not inherent value your person. Right. And so they're going to fight that tooth and nail because that is their whole, that, that, that is their entire raison d'etre. Their entire reason for existence more than anything else is to pass that wealth down upon heirs who will, as we all know, steadily become by any meritocratic ideal less deserving. Mm-hmm. I, we started this episode talking about, you know, this college admission scandal. And I think about the sort of, uh, what goes on in the mind of somebody who is, you know, filthy rich and they're trying to desperately to cheat their son's SAT. You know, they desperately want this spot in at USC and they know their son just isn't cut out for <laughs> USC. Yeah. You know, there there has to be some acknowledgement on some level of mm, this is not, you know, merit. You know? Yeah. 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 No, know? they they know, but they I think that's why they all did it in this way, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of doing the open graft, which is legal, they went for the skullduggery <laughs> because that would not force them to admit right. that I just mm-hmm. bought my kid a spot at USC or I just mm-hmm. bought my right. kid a spot at Yale or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, is there you know recognition that okay, this is not meritocratic, you know? And if there is, well, then does that cause them any second thoughts? I don't know. Eh. Yeah, it doesn't not, seem, not to get into the inner so. mind yeah. of you know Felicity uh, Huffman. Or, yeah. They'll, they'll oh, right, yell at yeah. the kid, and that's probably the yeah. length and breadth of it. But mm-hmm. we're supposed to be talking about alternatives, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe uh, big alternatives here. I think the problem that we have is that we've structured society to serve the economy, and we've structured the economy to serve a small group of people who pay other people to figure it out for them so that they can all carve the world up into tiny little pieces and take it for themselves mm-hmm. like they're a bunch of feudal lords or yep. somebody playing a Paradox Interactive game, whatever. <laughs> and the problem is that when you structure society that way, that's what you're going to get. Merit is going to become a proxy for where are you in the company ladder or how much money do you have. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is just we need to restructure society to be based around Human beings, the people Mm -hmm. who actually do the work, the people who will actually do the stuff that needs to get done. Mm -hmm. There are ways to have a society where your ability to have a job that treats you with dignity isn't tied to your ability to get a degree from MIT. There are ways to have a society that doesn't make life so punishing unless you achieve these metrics. And we have chosen not to have that society. We have chosen instead the meritocracy, quote unquote, where, you know, the best and the brightest soar ever higher at the expense of everyone else. And and I think something that we can do uh, culturally too on, on all levels is to stop viewing certain jobs as being like quote unquote menial, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that people, 
the fact that someone chooses to do a certain job uh, or or is forced to, in either case, whatever the, the predicament that they find themselves in, that they're doing that job, that that person is somehow less than someone else because of the the uh, implied status of that job, you know, that, you know, you see this type of thing come up all the time with the minimum wage debate and stuff that people say, well, this person's doing a, you know, this very basic entry level job or what yeah, they view as a, right. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I can't think of something that's more fundamentally important than feeding people. Right. right? And then yet somehow people who are responsible for, you know, micro transactions at a hedge fund or something like that, who are producing not nothing like material mm-hmm. or supporting anyone materially are valued so or those are the ones that look their their jobs are prestigious you know but the person who's actively feeding people hundreds or thousands of people on a daily or weekly basis is that they're somehow that job is menial i don't understand <laughs> it was it was one of you two and i can't remember which one it was who on a previous episode mentioned uh, david graber saying probably that me. yeah probably you um saying that <laughs> we remunerate jobs mm-hmm. in like direct negative proportion to how yeah. much they actually matter. Right. Yeah. It's especially it's especially bleak when you consider the fact that for jobs like mine in education, mm-hmm. the mission and the uh, the supposed meaningful quality of the job becomes a reason to treat you worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's yeah. supposed your desire to do this, your calling, quote unquote, right. is supposed to replace your dignity as a worker and your you know, your dignity as a human being, really. Mm-hmm. Right. We we treat certain jobs as better than others because we think that it reveals something about the person who has it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. You know, the person has the job because they have this merit, whatever it may be. But then, you know, the fact that they have the job is proof of that merit. Mm-hmm. You know, it is can work both ways depending on whenever the arguer needs it to. Uh, and, that's, and, and that argument comes up a lot. That That's just a very, again, it goes back to the black and white nature of how people feel about meritocracy is that if you start talking to someone about the extremely wealthy, defenders of capitalism or meritocracy in general will say, well, they must have, they, you know, they must deserve it. They must have worked hard. They did all these things. Another one that comes up all the time is, oh, they're smart. Even when you start talking about things like tax evasion on like a corporate level where they're stashing billions of dollars and things overseas, they say, well, that's just good capitalism. That's smart. Yeah. They deserve to keep that's that what money. I would do. Be- right. They deserve to keep that money because they're smart, because they understand the system. So they're basically saying two different things at the same time. They're saying, I recognize that the system is corrupt. And I also recognize that the smart way to deal with that corrupt uh, system is to become more corrupt. Right. And then, but they say these things as if there's that they have the moral high ground. Like when you're talking to them about, you know, social policies or things like that. And they say, well, yeah, I mean, I'd love everybody to have a house and access these things, but where the money's going to come from? Well, what's going to come from the guys that are stashing money overseas? And they go, well, they're smart. They, they deserve that money. It's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with you now. Like, I don't know yeah. What, yeah. Well, by capitalism, that is the moral high ground, isn't well, right, it? Because exactly. that, that's yeah. the entire right. that's like the, system. Yeah, the Randian, that's, that's the you, game. Yeah, the money is, yeah, you know. You just touched on something. Um, in one of the pieces that Ryan shared with us, um, Matt Brunig talked about how for a long time, inherited wealth wasn't as big a problem in the United States as it right. could have become because most of the money being generated was being generated through population growth, mm-hmm. which was then causing population degrowth in certain other people in areas of North America uh, and kicking them out and then producing money out of that, you know, extracting resources and, yeah. and whatever. 
And so now, really, you're getting – finally, we have stagnated. Right. For, for a long time, you could make that argument, the, the one that you're saying the defenders of capitalism made. You could make that argument and it would almost be true. Yeah. Almost. Well, because in a country that's 150 years old, all money is new money. True, you know, <laughs> but especially when it's being generated, you know, day to day, right? Right, right? When there's people taking new land and using that land that, according to dudes like John Wayne, wasn't being used before, <laughs> right? Yeah, they were creating new "quote unquote" gross domestic product. Mm. Now that's not the case anymore. It's basically we are as extractive as we could possibly get without just straight up lighting the entire continent on fire. Right. And so now you're seeing the, the cows are coming home. Right. This is, this is the moment. This is when things are going to start getting, I mean, they're already bad, but this is when the problems are starting to become so stark right. that people are actually considering solutions, which is, again, a very encouraging yeah. moment. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, y- solutions yeah. are good. Yeah. 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 Uh, if you have a problem, uh, solving it is a good idea, mm-hmm. usually. It, it is encouraging to see that people are finally taking this problem head on, and it's understandable why, because now we are seeing what happens when you have a fail-son class, right. when you have a bunch of people who, the, through no talent or ability, have gone the, where they the are. The meritocracy has no clothes in this moment. It, yes. it is exposed as a fraud, but right. that we shouldn't take this moment to say, okay, let's have a better class of elites. Right, right. We can't just replace, you know, Donald Trump Jr. with, yeah. you know, somebody t- and give them the same amount of wealth and power because, right. you know, it's not, it's an not issue good of for them to have that wealth right. and power yeah. either. Right. They'll just, yeah. they will, have, and if they don't become Donald Trump Jr. from that wealth and power, their kid will. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it, it will eventually reproduce. Good yeah. luck to Jeff Bezos' kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Really yeah. That kid having to grow up in this world. Yeah. All right. So if there was one broad solution, it's stop ignoring things until we're at the point of crisis, right? Like, which is basically, I mean, I know that yeah. it's, one of those, it's one of those things that seems very like, you know, but we're seeing it now with people talking about the Green New Deal and trying to, and, and, and opponents of the Green New Deal saying, well, what's the rush? We can't do it so fast. And it's like, well, we knew about this for 30, 40 years. We had time to take it slow. Uh, you know, and I'm sure in, in that same vein, there's been people who have been railing against our, our what some people call a meritocracy for years and years. And now we're getting to the point where, okay, well, we've basically eaten everything else that we possibly can. Now we have to turn on the country itself. Uh, but now that the middle class is starting to suffer, wh- which article was it that Hayes. we read? Uh, hey, where we're talking about the, the middle class being in a particularly good uh, position to actually. Help us to dig ourselves out of this because they're the ones that have the means and, uh, you know, the political clout. Uh, so a solution would be if you live in the suburbs, uh, we could use your help. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, there's lots of people working on the ground already. If you need to pick an organization to jump into, they'll probably take you. No. Um, but yeah, start using some of your uh, privilege to swing things back the other way. The option is available to build a society that looks more like what we want. You know, it is entirely possible that we have a society with fewer fail sons, to use Noah's word, to to have a society where, you know, the wealth of some people is not the suffering of others. And, but to build that, it, you know, it requires work and effort to construct that. We have to make choices as a society about who we want to reward and how we want to reward them. And so far, we've made the choice to reward people on this nebulous notion of merit as opposed to 
basic human needs. Right. A, a great first step would basically be if you if you find yourself thinking that someone who is suffering or struggling deserves it, you're wrong. Uh, and, stop thinking and, that. And, and, yeah, and tr- yeah, stop thinking that <laughs> and maybe uh, you know, do some self-reflection because mm-hmm. that's, that's inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa, that somebody on the top has deserved their position and you shouldn't criticize them because they've you know, worked for it or earned it in some way. Yeah. Spend some time in close proximity to them and within 15 minutes y- you will disabuse yourself of that notion. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, we'd like to say more, but we're out of time and frankly ideas so uh, <laughs> for this week i'm ryan i'm earl i'm noah this is punching out you've been listening to punching out you can find us on facebook and on twitter at punching out email us your work stories complaints and struggles to punching out at gmail.com Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.